This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show, we're going to do a main event preview for Frankie Edgar's first fight at Bantamweight against Pedro Munoz. Anthony Smith joins us to preview next weekend's fight. He has a main event against Alexander Rakic. Plus, is Sean O'Malley handling his loss to Chito Vera well? We will debate that on the show, too. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. All right, happy Friday to you. A lot to get to today. A lot of stuff going to happen this weekend. Kind of excited about it. Um, I'm not going to spend a time. I'm going to watch Bellator tonight probably live, or at least I'll watch that main event live. I don't know about tomorrow because I got to get up with the kid on Sunday. So, you know, there's a question of how little sleep do I want to get and be on dad duty by myself. Never the best combo, but we'll see. I mean, I will certainly watch it before Monday, but rest assured, come Monday, we will have plenty of coverage for the results for tonight's Bellator and then tomorrow's um, uh, UFC. By the way, speaking of the UFC, the weigh-ins are happening now. We don't have totally complete results, but we have some, and where we do, I will let you know. Most notably, your main and co-main is on. Uh, Pedro Munoz makes 136, Frankie Edgar 135 and a half. Your co-main event, Ovin St. Peru returning to light heavyweight, taking on the powerhouse that is Alonzo Menafield. Um, 205 and a half for OSP, 204 and a half for Menafield. So good to see there. Um, Chessy, there's a, a half the uh, arrangements have weighed in for the rest of that fight card. Um, let's see, anything else super of note? Not really. Uh, Timor Vileyev and Trevin Jones were supposed to fight at a 140-pound catch weight, and Trevin Jones made 140 and a half, and you'd be like, oh, isn't that uh, making weight? Apparently not. Apparently, if you agree to 140, you have to make 140. And he made 140 and a half, so I guess he missed it, <clears throat> which is weird. I'm not sure how that works, but okay. Um, but the good news is you're main and co-main. And then, of course... Nemkov and Bader weighed in yesterday and made it, so everything is fine there. I think I have those Bellator weigh-in results. I want to see them very quickly. Let's see. Yes, so here are the weigh-in results for yesterday. Uh, Julia Budd made 145. Um, Well, that's interesting. Well, that means she missed weight. Oh, wait. Sorry, her opponent missed weight. 147 for the, uh, I guess that was supposed to be a title fight, but now it's off. Since both came in over, I'm not sure what the hell. No, no, excuse me. Cyborg took it. What am I saying? Right? So there you go. 145.8 for Bud. She made weight. Jesse Mill, Mile, Miele, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, made 147. She missed. Roy Nelson just barely made it. 264.9 against his opponent, Valentin Moldovsky. He made 234.6. And then there were some other ones of note. Adam Piccolotti made weight against Sydney Outlaw. That should be a hell of a fight. Goyito Perez is back. Eric Perez, he made 135.6. And um, there you go. A few other ones along the way. Oh, Yaroslav Amoslav made 175, which was was the uh, catch weight. Okay, neither here nor there. Um, If you did not see the weigh-ins, which they are still taking place, 
You can check out my Twitter at L Thomas News. I retweeted a picture of Frankie Edgar weighing in at bantamweight for the very first time. Got to tell you, he looked shredded, shredded. That is probably, I mean, he's never exactly out of shape. I, I think we all know that, but uh, he always looked pretty good on the scales, you know, a little undersized, but good. Looked better at 145. Still, even then, a little undersized, but good. I got to tell you, on the scales today, Lord have mercy. I don't think I've ever seen him weigh in and look that lean. And not lean, and I'll be honest, I'm sure that the cut was not um, exactly easy. I'm sure the cut was, in some ways, kind of difficult, uh, like they all are. But he looked lean without looking, excuse me, without looking gaunt. He was right at that edge. You know, another two or three pounds, and it would have been terrible. But in the way in which he made weight, he looked sensational. So for whatever that is worth, and one never really wants to judge exactly by, um, you know, how they looked on the scale as the predominant standard, especially when they look like good or normal. I mean, if your opponent also looks good and normal, what can you really infer from that? But if you had any concerns that 135 was maybe a bridge too far in terms of his weight, you can uh, put those to bed. He does not appear to look that way at all. So let's do this. Time for my UFC fight night, Edgar versus Munoz main event preview. Pop quiz, Cobb. Pop quiz. Frankie Edgar's nickname is... Uh, Iron. No. No, the answer. The Mike answer, Tyson. The answer. The answer. Sorry. The yeah. answer. Very good. Okay, here we go. The, That's that, easy. He, he always did that FE thing. That's why I got confused for a second. Yeah, the periodic table of elements kind of thing is weird. Yeah. Uh, Pedro Munoz's nickname. Pedro Munoz. I did not know this either. I will cop to the fact that if you had asked yeah, me, I, I would not remember. have gotten it. The Young Punisher? No idea. Yeah, not not a great nickname, but okay. Did you see what Armin Saryukian went with after a contest in Russia? I'm not joking about this. Did you see his no. nickname? No. He did some kind of contest in Russia. He's Armenian, but he did some kind of contest in Russia for a name. I'm not exaggerating. He went with tough guy. Ugh. Is that like one? Is that like one of those things where it's like dudes get you know? Japanese or Chinese characters and it's like rice and or you know character and courage it's like why would you get those things tattooed on your effing forearm you know that, you know what I mean like it, it seems exotic to them because it's English but to us it just sounds idiotic you know what I mean yeah tough guy is the kanji uh, tribal barbed wire tattoo of nicknames <laughs> You know, it's funny. My brother told me about this. And I didn't realize it until uh, I, I went and visited him. My brother used to live in London. I'll get to this main event preview here in just a second. But I visited him in London, and he had this Australian, a uh, couple Australian friends, actually. And both of them had, like, Native American tattoos. And we were like, why do these? T-? I asked him, I was like, why do these two Aussie dudes have tattoos of, like, Sitting Bull or whoever it was? I don't remember who it was. And apparently that's their version of like Americans getting Japanese tattoos, either like of shoguns or samurais or like the characters themselves, because to them, American native or native Americans are like super exotic. My hunch is that tough guy sounds to them kind of cool when to us, it's like, 
Dude, that tough guy is like one step above tough man competitions. It's not that great. But okay. So when it's someone like, have a conversation like 20, with Armin like or yeah, it's like twenties lingo of like, hey, what are you doing there, tough guy? Like that's that's what I, that's what I hear in my head when I hear that. I know it's like, where's Dick Tracy to solve this crime? Jesus Christ! All right, with that in mind, Munoz versus Edgar. Uh, this is an, I, I, I like this fight. I do. I don't know that it's main event worthy, or well, I guess given what else is out there, it's main event worthy. It's not the strongest card tomorrow, but um, still, I I think if you're a Frankie Edgar fan, I'm pessimistic about his long term possibilities. At bantamweight, I am fairly optimistic about tomorrow. Actually, all right. So eighteen and four, one no contest for Munoz. Twenty two and eight. Both of these are pretty experienced guys. Edgar, much so more so at the highest level. Average fight time. This is where it gets kind of interesting. Munoz eight forty six. Edgar sixteen forty six. One of these guys is built for distance, and at eight Pedro height five six. They're about equivalent. Obviously weight one thirty five. Uh, this will be to me quite critical. The reach for Munoz, 65. The reach for Edgar, 68. We all know in a variety of different circumstances, Edgar is working behind that jab to have a three-inch reach advantage. I mean, when was the last time he enjoyed a three-inch reach advantage? I'd have to look that up. I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I suspect not recently. Um, They're both considered orthodox fighters. Munoz will do a little bit of switching, but that's a fairly accurate kind of representation. Okay. By the numbers, well, here's the bad news for Edgar. Munoz lands 5.29 strikes per minute. That is high. Edgar, a little bit more on the conservative side, 3.6. That's not low, but that's sort of mid-range. Striking accuracy, 42% for both, basically. Now, here's the good news for Frankie. Munoz has a negative differential. So while he lands 5.29 strikes per minute, he absorbs 6.17 Dude takes a ton of damage, and even as much damage as Edgar has taken, he still has a positive differential at 2.48. So remember, he landed uh, 3.6. So that's really good news. And by the way, striking defense, believe it or not, Edgar much better. 57% for Munoz, 68% for Edgar. So kind of kind of an interesting contrast there. Although that's their historic totals, I wonder what it's been in their last, say, four fights. I wonder what those numbers might look like. Uh, Takedown average, 0.92 for Munoz, and this will be key. We'll come back to it. 2.34 for Frankie. Takedown accuracy for Munoz is terrible, 21%. Edgar's not much better, 31%. Edgar's takedown, uh, again, part of that is because he's had, you know, two fights with Aldo and a fight with Max. You know, guys have really gotten better about their takedowns. He used to have, like, lights-out takedowns. So that 31%, I'm not saying it's not, I'm not saying you can ignore it, but it's a little bit misleading. Uh, Takedown defense, 81% for Munoz, 65% for Frankie. Submission average, and this is going to be interesting, 1.1 per 15 minutes, 0.3 for Frankie. Okay, their last five fights for Pedro Munoz, a loss to Aljamain Sterling, but it was unanimous decision, or it was least decision, I don't know if it was unanimous, but it uh, it it went to distance. He has a win over Garbrandt, a win over Brian Caraway, a win over Brett Johns, and then a loss to John Dodson. For Frankie Edgar, he has a loss to the Korean Zombie, a loss to Max Holloway, a win over Cub Swanson, a loss to Brian Ortega, and a win over Yair Rodriguez. Okay, so how do these two match up? This is why, to me, this fight is very interesting. Because on the scales, as I mentioned, 
Frankie Edgar looked completely shredded. Okay, he looks to be in absolutely phenomenal condition. Now, his gas tank has never been in question, but to the extent you had any curiosity about how he looks in terms of being built for the division and or distance, looks to me like he's built pretty goddamn well. Okay, that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is I don't know how his power is going to translate to 135 pounds. I do not know how his speed is going to translate to 135 pounds. And and depending on how generous you want to be in your estimation of that, that will play some role. But the key, while those are critically important, I just don't know what to make of them. I mean, I suspect it will be good enough against Munoz unless he gets hurt no matter what. But this is the interesting part about this matchup. Frankie Edgar does his best these days when he can mix up striking and wrestling or at a bare minimum striking and then what I'll call credible takedown attempt threats. Maybe he doesn't get the person to the ground, but they are so concerned with his takedown attempt that it sort of undoes and unroots them from the ground in ways they would ordinarily not be concerned. One of the reasons Max Holloway was such a bad matchup for Frankie is to say he has good takedown defense doesn't really tell the whole story. Yes, that is obviously true, but the the fuller story there is that he can sort of let go with his strikes without a strong degree of fear, right, about being taken down. One, because he'll get back up, and two, it allows him to just stay rooted into the ground, and he has quick transition uh, with either underhooking or cross-facing or whatever so that he could just sort of be the striker that he is normally. There's not a difference, or at least a substantial one. Okay, and so that's what he's up against here. So why do I bring that up? Well, do you really want to take down Pedro Munoz? I mean, maybe you do. People have taken him down plenty. Aljamain Sterling took him down, threatened him. The only thing that gets kind of dicey there is Pedro Munoz has some of the best guillotines in in MMA. Very, very good guillotines. Good back taking. Um, He's one of the few guys who can incorporate uh, a threat of back taking and then use it to actually go for the guillotine. He's got arm in guillotines, high elbow guillotines, arm in same side guillotines. Um, He's got a lot of different, he's got guillotines he uses for sweeps. He's got guillotines he uses to take mount. I mean, he has a very, very complete guillotine series. And so here's what I think Frankie Edgar is up against. One, we don't know exactly how his athletic traits will will transition to 135. I think they will translate pretty well, maybe great, but at least pretty well. Two, usually when he strikes, he has to mix in the wrestling to make it work. Does he want to do that against Munoz? I think he does, but he has to be careful. The one thing he has outright going for himself is that while Edgar doesn't have the reach that Sterling had, Sterling, and he got hit to the body a couple times that really kind of folded him a little bit. But in general, what you saw from Sterling was he could basically get Munoz's timing and rhythm and make reads on him all fight long. A guy like Edgar should be able to do that no problem. Munoz is something of a counter striker, which again is not necessarily in serving of Frankie's interests, but he throws a lot of one shot, maybe two shot combos. He throws a little bit late, um, doesn't have a lot of head movement, 
has a good chin, has a great chin, as a matter of fact, really good one. Um, but for a guy like Edgar, who's got great movement, who can sort of, you know, faint and fake, and he's in a distance and he's out, and he's moving left and he's moving right, and he's circling this way, and then he's going the other way, and he's level changing, right? All those things should make Munoz wide open. The reason why there's some question here is, one, Munoz has a great chance. What kind of power is Frankie going to have? Two, is Frankie going to mix in the wrestling? And if so, will he do so fatally by getting guillotined? Now, Edgar is no slouch on the ground himself. He is a black belt in jiu-jitsu and, of course, a Division I standout wrestler. You know, So he is not like he is some kind of chump in that arena. This is why when the, when the odds makers make him some kind of like terrible underdog, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not saying I don't see a case for Pedro to win. Of course I do. I'm sure many of you do as well. And, and, and by the way, my predictions aren't worth anything. I'm just trying to be honest with you with what I see. But what I see is, dude, there's a lot of things Edgar does that give him some great opportunities to win here. He is built for distance. He is built not so much for volume in the sense of punches, but volume in the sense of work rate, which means strikes attempted, strikes thrown, fakes, feints, footwork, level changes, that kind of a thing. Like he's always in motion. And so, dude, that's a, that's a bad matchup for Pedro on that level. On that level, he's a terrible matchup. Now, as I indicated, there's many other things that give Pedro a lot of opportunity here. Hits hard, good chin, um, amazing guillotines, right? Just tons of opportunity. Maybe Frankie Edgar's chin will be compromised beyond just the miles, but with the weight cut. I mean, there's just so many unknowns about Frankie at bantamweight. It's a little bit hard to draw firm conclusions. I'm just telling you, answer this question. If this fight were at 145, who would you favor? I would favor Frankie. Maybe I'm a jackass for that. I, I don't know, but I would kind of favor Frankie. We know what his speed looks like there. It's great. We know what his power looks like there. It's really strong. Wrestling, phenomenal. Explosion, good. Submission defense, very strong. Lateral movement, excellent. Only the very, very best guys in that division could beat him. So what's the difference 10 pounds less? A lot? Maybe not a lot? I don't know. But when they have Frankie as a plus 230 underdog, I got to tell you, I'm doing a bit of head scratching on that one. You know, I don't want to underestimate Pedro. Pedro is tough. And he's he's gotten much better. Much better in the striking department, to be clear. But I feel like people in the long term don't see a lot of possibility for Frankie to have a ton of glory at 135. And I would agree with that. The problem is they, I think, are using that long-term vision to say, well, what could he really do on Saturday? Well, long-term, I don't think he can beat the best guys at 135. The very best guys. I think he, at a bare minimum, is damn competitive against Pedro. If he can't take a shot and his speed is slow, forget it. All of this is for naught, right? Obviously, if you can't take a punch, you can't go up against a big puncher like Pedro and hope to live the day. It's just not going to happen for you. But I'm not really ready to say that that's a fact at bantamweight just yet. I think we should wait to see. 
And I think if he ends up looking at bantamweight, you know, reasonably similar to how he looked at 145, this is a fight Frank Yeager should win. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. All right, I think we see him here on the Zoom machine, although I think his, uh, it looks like his microphone is muted. There he is. Anthony Smith joins the show. Hi, Anthony. How are you? I'm good, Luke. How are you? Sorry, man. I'm a little bit late. That's okay. I see you're on the golf course, huh? How's that going? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's going awful, if I'm being very, very honest with you. Uh, I'm not the best golfer in the world. I love, I love the game, but I am terrible. I would have never pegged you as a golf guy. How did you get into golf? Uh, I, 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 th- I just needed a hobby. Uh, you know, when you, you get so immersed into the, into the MMA game and like, I, I don't know if this is true for other fighters, but for the longest time I was just on the regional scene and, and it's, it's all it is. It's fighting and fighting and fighting. It's the only thing you do. So my wife told me like, you need to find a hobby. So uh, I had some friends that golfed and, and so I started to get into golf and, and now I'm obsessed with it and it's the most frustrating game in the world, man. I'm, I'm so bad at it. Uh, and, and I think that's what hooks me. What is your handicap? Do you, I mean, is it like huge or it, it's a lot? I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I'm really bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm so bad. I'm, I'm, we're on the 18th hole right now. I'm just sitting it out because I just teed off on the 18th hole and lost three balls and said, screw it. I'm talking to Luke. I'm, I'm done with this guy. <laughs> you know what? Just put on <laughs> six, six, six strikes on the thing. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, you have like yeah. a favorite golfer or do you just one of those like participant type guys? I'm, I'm just more of a uh, participant type guy. You know, I don't really, I don't watch golf. You know, it's, it's kind of a boring game to watch. Uh, but I, I love playing it. I really do. See, I'm not the guy who can play the 18 holes, but there's two ways I like golf. I like going to the driving range. I think that's a lot of fun. Uh, and I actually, I, I used to hate watching golf on TV. And for some reason, I don't know when the switch was flipped, maybe three, four years ago. I really got into it. I, I, I like only for the mat, only for the major tournaments, not like, you know, your run of the mill thing, but masters or whatever. I got to tell right, you, if you've matters. never tr- say again, uh, when it matters, yeah, yeah. When the big dogs are playing, right? When they're really doing what they're doing, I got to tell you, when when you watch that last nine holes, last eighteen holes, it gets to, it turns out to be pretty thrilling, man. You might want to give it another try. Maybe I should. Maybe you know, I'm I'm kind of that kind of a, a sports fan, anyways. Like I can't watch an entire basketball season or or hockey or baseball. But when it comes down to to when the games actually matter and and we're in playoffs or you know, when someone's about to get a award. Uh, all right. So let's get to what's going on with you here. Give us a bit of a health update. Last we saw you, obviously you had the Glover to share a fight two rounds. It went really well for you. The rest of it, not so much. Uh, I don't want to dig back into the controversy, but I do want to know how you're feeling physically since then. Uh, I feel really good. Uh, I, I, I think I healed a lot faster than most people expected me to. I, you know, I could have, I probably could have gotten cleared, I don't know, four or five weeks after the fight. Uh, the UFC wanted me to, to wait a little bit longer and, and 
just let myself rest and heal. But uh, the, the orbital healed really well. I didn't, I didn't end up needing surgery. My teeth were, uh, you know, it was a, it was a two trip fix. So I went there the first time, got the temporaries put in. Uh, they did the molds and then, and then got the permanent ones put in a couple of weeks later. Um, my nose, my nose is healed up pretty good for the most part. It's, it's been broken so many times at this point. Uh, you know, it's, it just, it is what it is. You know, it's just, it's, it's like, it's almost permanently broken all the time. It's, it's always bothers me, but you know, I, I, I healed up well and, and, and my, my, my pride is intact. I'm, I'm happy. I'm in a good place in life. And I'm just, I'm just ready to move on. You know, I know, I know that it was a big story and it, and it was something that, that everyone loved to really talk about, but it wasn't really that big of a deal to me. And uh, I, I, I've been ready to move on for a long time. So, you know, what's interesting to me is, again, I don't want to dig back into it, but there was another part of the fight that did not get discussed that I do think is worth uh, revisiting for a second, which was you won the first two rounds kind of walking away. They were not close. And then after that, things kind of fell apart. From a tactical and strategic standpoint, when you think about what went right and then what went wrong, not not the referee stuff, but the strategy you employed, the tactics you used, what would you do differently if you could fight Glover again? Um, if, if I was to fight Glover again, I, I would pull off the gas a little bit in the first couple of rounds. I think it was clear, if you look at Glover and I in those first two rounds, I think that that's, that's exactly where him and I are from a skill set. Uh, point of view i i I think that i know it sounds crazy because by the end of the fight i was getting the shit kicked out of me but i i think that that's where we are skill set i think that i'm just that much better than he is uh in that striking uh in in the striking realm and in jujitsu wise even as exhausted as i was and as hurt as i was i don't think he dominated me on the ground and you know he, he passed me i think he passed my guard once uh i recovered it right away i never let him land more than more than one real big shot at a time I, I i feel like i held my own uh with a with a super high high level jujitsu black belt uh in the worst possible condition i could be in so going back i i, I would back off the output a little bit and and not be so focused on chasing the finish and and just be a little more tactical and be a little smarter and 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 just play the play the fight out as it goes and and, and just not chase a finish you know it I've, I've even said this uh, before, and, and I think to you that at 205, I, I don't have the, the power advantage that I have at, that I had at 185. I just, I just don't. So I, I'm not going to one punch everybody at 205. They're just bigger, stronger, more durable guys, and and, and I just need to, to check my own ego and and realize that I need to I need to be willing to be there for the long haul uh, and and stop chasing the finish like an idiot. You know, I'm smarter than that. I'm I'm more tactical than that. I'm more technical than that, and and I just need to. I just need to fight smarter, and 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 that's what that, that's really what I took from that. Hmm. Uh, was Glover? Was he? I mean, he's a crafty dude, right? Like he's as talented as he is, but it always seems like he. What's the way I'm trying to describe it? He has just a real keen sense of what he has to do to win, right? He understands his own limits. I guess is what I would say. Did that? Did yeah. that occur to you, sort of, during the fight? Like, how how would you grade like what he does really well? He, he stays calm in the fire. Uh, and, and that's really only something that you can get, uh, with experience and time. He, he's, he's always, he's always so, so calculated and, and he never seemed to get out of sorts, if that makes any sense. Uh, mm. 
didn't matter what I hit him with or, or how many times I hit him in a row. He just, he reset really well. Uh, and, he, and he did that really well between the first and the second round. He didn't look flustered. He didn't look like he was, he, he, he was mentally kind of, kind of losing control a little bit. He, he just stayed very calm and, and, and that's just the KG veteran in him. He, he just, he's seen it all. He's been in there with some of the best guys in the world. Uh, and, and, you know, stupid me to think that, that I could go in there and just land some big shots and, and get someone like Glover out of there just by shaking him a little bit with some big shots. You know, I, I just, that that's, that's on me. And, you know, he beat me fair and square. I give him all the credit in the world. I'm, I'm happy for his success. It, it couldn't happen to a better guy. And, and I learned a lot from that. And, and I'm going to take those lessons that, that I learned from Glover with me for a long time. It's just, I got to be better. I got to be smarter. I got to, I got to be more intelligent and I have to be more mature. And that's really what I took from that. He was just the more mature veteran fighter. And and, and that doesn't happen to me very often. It's not very often that I I learn a veteran move from somebody in a fight. You know, I'm usually the guy Mm. that's, that's, that's handing out those veteran lessons. That's a fair point. Anthony Smith joins us here on the Luke Thomas show. So you're taking on Alexander Rakic. Boy, I got to tell you, on the, it's a little bit the opposite there, right? He doesn't have your veteran experience, uh, or certainly not even Glover's. But uh, he is a big, strong kid. Now, he's coming off that loss, I think, to Uzdemir. But he is a handful. When you size him up, what do you see? He's absolutely a handful, man. He's a, he's a big son of a bitch. He, he's, he's powerful. <laughs> he's super explosive. Uh and, and, and he believes in himself and, and, and that means a lot, you know, that, that brings its own problems to the table, but, but when um, it comes down to it, like, go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your point by all means. Uh, when it comes down to it, that's, that's not super impressive to me. Uh, he, it doesn't mean that I don't think that he's dangerous though. Uh, he's just not, I, I don't see anything tricky. I don't see anything that I haven't seen before. Uh, at this point in the game, everybody's strong and everybody's big and powerful and explosive. He, he's, he, he's fairly black and white to me, uh, but it doesn't mean that it's an easy fight. It, you get, you're going to have to settle a guy like that in. And, and he, he reminds me of those, uh, those super young. Uh, so, so I've been uh, in, during this training camp, I've, I've kind of taken a guy under my wing, uh, Cody Brundage, just fighting the contender series uh, the Tuesday after I fight. Really, really powerful wrestler, kind of short, stocky, big power in his hands at the very beginning of us training together. He, he, he's just a lot to deal with. He's, he's, he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of energy and, and, and he just, you know, he just believes in himself and it's that, that young guy thing. And you kind of just got to settle those guys down a little bit. You know, it's, you know, like, like you do jujitsu, you know, how it is the new, the, the new white belt that comes in. That's a really good wrestler that just is a spaz. And he's kind of all, all over the place and you got to like settle him in and get him a little bit tired and, and then you can go to work. That, that kind of reminds me of, of Alexander Rakic. Like once we get him settled in and, and we slow him down a little bit and get him to set his feet uh, and make him think and, and, and force him to try to be tactical and try to set traps and, and have to use his brain. Uh, I think the fight looks totally different. That said, the first couple minutes of that fight, it, it's, it's going to be, he's going to be a bear. It's going to be a, it's going to be a really big problem to deal with. Uh, yeah. He's going to be, you know, I, I, yeah, I welcome that. I welcome that. It's going to be a big goddamn problem. Uh, and, and, you know that, that that's what it, that's what's made him so great. That's what that's what's got him this far, uh, and and I welcome that challenge. No doubt about it. So we're a bit on short time here. So let me get to some other questions, if I may. John Jones leaving the division is that good or bad for light heavyweight? Um, I, I'm not sure. If I'm being honest. I 
I think that it creates a lot of parody. It creates a lot of inter- interesting conversations, a, a lot of cool matchups, a lot of, oh, sorry about that. That's okay. I got you. All right. Sorry. Uh, I think it creates a lot of cool, cool conversations and some fun matchups and a little bit more parody and, and maybe some, some more, I don't know. It's just some more unknowns. And I, and I think that that's, that's what's good for a division. I, I think when you have John Jones in a division, it's kind of like, well, John's probably going to win this fight and then they're going to move on and the next guy's going to come up and John's going to win that fight. And, and now we're not really sure. And there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mixing and matching and, and like, is Tiago going to beat Glover? And if he does, then I beat Rackage, then does Tiago fire for the title or do we have to fight each other? And it just creates a lot of fun conversations. But at the end of the day, it sucks that John's leaving the division and there's a lot of us who have lost to John that are looking forward to that opportunity to fight him again. And we're not going to get that opportunity. So uh, I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for the division or not. I, I, I really don't. What do you think? Somewhere like you, I mean, on the one hand, it, it frees up a lot of guys to do uh, and move up and, and try new things and, um, it forces growth, but it's also transition and transition is a little bit weird and hard to pin down. And so, yeah, it's going to be something like that. But the, the, the real big loss is that no one is going to be able to get the, to claim the scalp, right? No one's going to be able to hold the head up to the villager saying I beheaded the, the dragon, right? You don't, you don't get that still, uh, Reyes and Blahovich are going to fight for the title next month. Who do you think gets their hand raised in that one? Uh, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that Reyes showed everything he had to show in his fight versus John Jones. And, and I don't mean that in a, a disrespectful way. And I know that it comes off. You know, I said it. I, I think I said the same thing yesterday. And, and I don't mean it to say that, like, he can't get any better. But I think that as good as Dominic Reyes can possibly be, possibly be right now, I, I think we've seen it. So, I, I don't think that we've seen that out of, out of Blahovich. I think that he's, he's a matchups type of guy. I think with certain matchups, he does better than others. And, and mm. I think versus a guy like Reyes, I think that's, that's kind of the tailor-made matchup for Jan Blahovich. I think with his real fundamental boxing and his distance management and his, his ability to push forward, uh, I, I just think that he gives Dominic Reyes a lot of problems. And, and I don't know how deep Dominic Reyes' well is. You know, he, he, he kind of showed it all in the John Jones fight. Although he did very, very well, it was limited. And once he got to that third and that fourth and that fifth round, he kind of ran out of tricks. Uh, hmm. and, I, and I don't think Blahovich is the type of guy that needs to, to be the super tricky guy. He's very fundamental. He's very basic. Uh, but he's very, very good at what he does. Uh, I think he's bigger than Reyes. He's not longer or taller. But overall, he's the, he's the bigger, thicker guy. Uh, I, I don't think the Reyes is, is going to want to take that to the ground. I think Blahovich has the, the advantage on the ground. And so it's an interesting matchup for sure. But I do find myself leaning towards Don Blahovich. Hmm, interesting. All right, we have to let you go. Well, well, one more on the way out, which is certainly I don't want you to look past Rakic. I think we both are in touch with uh, what a significant challenge he can be. Nevertheless, Luke Rockhold might make his way back to uh, MMA. Now, it sounds like he wants to go back to middleweight. Well, here, let me ask. It sounds like he wants to go back to middleweight, which would make my next question irrelevant. But I guess I have to ask, like, if there's a chance he goes back to 205, you might get a chance to have that fight. Does it at all interest you in any kind of permutation? Is there any kind of circumstance where you could be like, yeah, that's a good fight? Yeah, yeah. You know, 
as as much as I talk badly about Luke Rockhold in the media to my friends to to almost anybody who would listen, <laughs> I've never said that he's not good at fighting. Luke Luke Rockhold is a badass. He he's he, he's very good. He's a dangerous striker. He's got a really dangerous rear side hands and kicks. Uh, and his top game in jujitsu is legendary. Like people talk about that shit in the gym. I've never rolled with him, but I know plenty of people that have, and they, they almost all of them say that he is a monster on top. So he, I don't, I don't want, I don't want, that, I don't want that to get twisted. That because I don't like him and I talk trash about him, that I don't think that he's good. Uh, I, I think that if he could, I don't know how to say this without sounding like an asshole. If he could take a shot and not fall asleep every time, Luke Rockhold is still one of the most dangerous guys in the world. So I, I would love the opportunity to, to compete a, a, against a former champion, against someone that's as good as Luke Rockhold. And I'd love to beat up someone that I don't like that much. So uh, I will always jump at an opportunity to, to, to fight Luke Rockhold any chance I get. That's a fair answer. Well, good luck on the links. It seems like a safe way to uh, enjoy your time these days. I look forward to next weekend and can't wait to see what happens. Thank you for your time, Anthony. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Luke. You take care. There he goes. Anthony Smith. Luke Thomas Show coming right back. Dan Patrick Radio is Sirius XM's home for Australian rules football. Walked into all stars. Australian media icon Eddie Maguire for Aussie Football Rules America as he brings you the latest celebrity chats, tips and expert analysis of Australian football. Then stay tuned for the Aussie Rules Game of the Week. Kick the goal and Fremantle win it after the siren. It all starts Thursday at 6pm Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 and the Sirius XM app. So Sean O'Malley has uh, finally spoken out. He had a podcast. I think it's called like the Timbo and Sugar Show. Something like that. It's a podcast he does with his friend and coach, Tim Welch. And I did not hear the whole thing, but our friend and intrepid reporter, what am I saying reporter, excuse me, uh, producer, Mike Russo went through all of the cuts and pulled the best ones. And so the question is, like, how do you feel like O'Malley is handling this? Because I saw the clips making the rounds yesterday on social media, and I just saw basically what I saw was, Sean O'Malley just getting absolutely dragged, murdered on social media, you know, absolutely bludgeoned. And, you know, I'm not here to say those criticisms are entirely misplaced. I, Cobb and I were talking about this yesterday, and basically we have, I, I don't know the exact same feeling, but we have the exact same posture, which is to say we have mixed feelings about it. Now, maybe not the exact same mixture, um, but I don't... I I tend to understand some of the criticisms and I tend to think some of them are somewhat overstated as well. Still, it is worth hearing what he had to say. And then I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. All right. So what were some of the problems? Well, he said he felt fine, but maybe the ankle wraps were a little bit tight. Cut one. Well, even in the back warming up, everything was just perfect. Yeah, it really was. I'm in good shape. I'm in f***ing good shape. Mm-hmm. I'm out in. I'm breaking this motherfucker 100 in my mind. Mm-hmm. Get back there, doing our warm up. Everything's going perfect. About five minutes before they said, "All right, we're gonna walk." I'm like, "Hey, Brandon, do you think you could fucking loosen up my ankle brace? It's like fucking tight." So he's sitting in the back, loosening up my ankle braces because they were so tight. Okay, I mean, 
I, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, if that is a, an explanation for the medical ailment he suffered, that's not a great one, but suffice to say, okay. But now he begins to go through the fight. Cut two. Walked out. Everything felt good. Got in there. Was in front of him. I'm like, this is a, this felt in my mind. I'm like, this is easy. He's slow. He can't hit me. Once he swung at you and that little flurry went through your mind, like, I'm like, dude, he's slow. Uh -huh. He can't hit me. If you can't hit me, you can't take me down. I didn't think he was going to be able to get me down because he was so slow. Um, and I remember the pain that I had in the top of my foot, the Liz Frank surgery, had the same pain but in my all around my ankle. Mm -hmm. And I remember dragging my foot up against the cage. like. So that Liz Frank surgery, that's one of like your, I think it affects some of the small bones in your foot. And it's not spelled like L-I-Z, you know, dash Frank, F-R-A-N-K. It's uh, some kind of French term. I forget exactly how it goes. But um, I know some pro athletes that have had a Liz Frank injury. Now, that's not the exact one he's referencing. He says the pain was the same. But those are super slow to heal. Super slow to heal for whatever that is worth. Um, but he doesn't indicate it came from any of the kicks, which is kind of an interesting thing. So he acknowledges that the loss is clean. He doesn't acknowledge what the loss usually means. Cut three. Please. The thing is, is like you, we picked the date, we picked the time, and we both walked out, and then doesn't matter what the f happens. Whoever wins, however they win, yeah. wins. Yeah. So he, de he, he, he won. It feels like it sucks for me because I'm like, God, I lost to someone who I look at is not very good. Mm -hmm. I look at him and I'm like, he's not that good and i fucking lost to him um that's what's the most frustrating thing probably is just losing to someone i'm better than and that humble post was a fucking joke so everyone commenting stupid shit i'm not humble what's he talking about there i think he was talking about he put out like a post kind of you know the humble like what are you gonna do post he won and then <laughs> i think everyone just trashed him so he said screw it that was just a joke yeah, you can't do that bit. I mean, if you're going to be the arrogant kid, you got to be the arrogant kid and just take the L, you know. Um, okay. He makes a point and says the better man doesn't always win. Cut four. It's Cut. also why I love fighting so much. Yeah, is it? Because it's not always the better guy wins. It's whatever the fuck happens. Yeah. But I was like, God, I did everything right. I can't take, I can't look back on that and be like, ah, oh, well, I could have done that better. I did everything right. There was nothing I did wrong. Mm -hmm. The sparring, the training, the, re the fucking eating, the sleeping, everything I did was fucking right. Okay, I know people are going to trash him for that. I actually feel like of all the things he said, that's the most defensible, which we'll get to in just a second, but let's, we only have two more cuts. Let's hear him out and then we'll get to it. So he says, you know, in a few years, he's going to be champ. And Cheeto, he's not. Cut five. But also what makes me feel better, it's like, okay, let's look at his career in five years. Let's look at mine. I'm going to be world champ, and he's going to be a fucking journeyman. Mm -hmm. That's just what his style is. He wins some, he loses some. Mm -hmm. He's slow, but he's gritty, so he's mm -hmm. going to be able to finish some people after they beat him up for a while. Dude, I'm like, the way his pace was, super slow like that, and I was exploding into shots. I wasn't going to get tired, and I was just going to beat his ass. I don't know if I was going to get a finish in that first round. He was tough. And, and patient. He was super patient. He was patient, which was fine because that's easier for me. He wasn't doing anything. He was standing there. Mm -hmm. It sucked. He's better. 
He's bitter. And then last but not least, he says, you know what Cheeto did? Cheeto won the lottery. Cut six. Dude, I knock out Eddie Wineland. I peace. That was easy. Mm-hmm. He gets lucky and beats me and jumps up like he's f***ing won the lottery. Yeah. That just showed me what kind of a bitch he was. <laughs> Sorry, he didn't say he won the lottery. He said he acted like he won the lottery. Okay, so those are the relevant clips there. Sean O'Malley reacting to his loss to Cheeto Vera. Is he a poor sport or not? What do you make of how Sean O'Malley is handling his, I believe this is his first career loss, certainly inside the UFC. How do you view it? Do you think that this is a situation where a guy should be a lot more, he should be deriving a lot more lessons about his own limitations than he is? Uh, Or do you think he's got absolutely the right attitude that a fighter should have? Right? If, you're, if you want to fight for a living, I mean, that's literally how you pay your bills. Yeah, maybe you want to have a little bit of arrogance like that. I have to tell you, I don't mind it nearly as much as some of you guys do, to be, to be perfectly honest with you. Now, am I suggesting to you that I think he's handling it, quote-unquote, the right way? Well, look, in any other sport, okay, I should say this, in any other um, team sport, in any other traditional sport, the way he's handling it is, is bad. And I think everyone's, everyone is using their experiences and their belief system that they have learned either from you know, their own participation in sports or something else to draw some kind of firm conclusion here. Uh, I would caution against that if I were you. This is not stick and ball sports. This is not like every other sport. In combat sports, it is not merely okay to be unprofessional. It is frankly, I would say, much more than normal. It might even be a healthy sign. I mean, understand something here. You are fist fighting another human being who is highly trained for a living, which doesn't just mean what you do on fight night. It means what you do every single day. You have this utterly combative lifestyle. And if you want to be good at that, and you are good at that, it requires a certain kind of mentality some of the time, which I know what you're going to say. Well, what about St. Pierre? He never had to do that. Right. He didn't need to do that. It wasn't a thing for him. He did the things that he needed to do to win. I can tell you, being an arrogant ass um, in certain ways can be very helpful. May not make you like the person. That's fine. But you can't. You're saying you can't. It's a little hard to argue that it's destructive for his future. Moreover, when he says things like, oh, well, the best guy doesn't always win the fight. I got news for you. That's true. Now, you may not necessarily think that it's true here. And so you may say his error is applying it to himself. But folks, are you really going to sit here and say every wrestling match, every baseball game, every basketball game, every football game, every soccer game, every boxing match, every single time the person or the team that was better won? You know that's crazy. You know that that is absolutely not true. Now, obviously, if someone is very talented 
it's going to be hard for them to lose to somebody that they're always, you know, that they are, um, uh, you know, more talented than. And same for teams. If your team is just way better than another team, um, you know, they may have a one in a million chance, which means you got to play a million games before you lose, but you will lose one. Guaranteed. That's the way those, those odds work. So I don't know exactly what Sean O'Malley's chances of winning were versus um, Cheeto Vera's. Maybe you think Cheeto Vera has a 1% chance. Okay, well, number one, that means if they fought 100 times, guaranteed at least once Cheeto would win. More to that point, beyond just that, it doesn't have to be the actual 100th time in, in the contest. It can be the first time. It can be the 75th time. It can be the 32nd time. It can be the 24th time. It can happen at any one of those intervals. It, we just know that if you have a, a 1 in 100 chance to win, after 100 of those have expired, you will have one to your name. But it could be the very first one. If Matt Sarah and GSP fought, how many times would Matt Sarah win? One in a thousand? Well, guess what? The first time they fought, it was the, it was, you got the thousandth there. You got it right there. It doesn't have to happen later in the run. And so the point I'm trying to raise here is, I think if you wanted to make a criticism, you could say the very best fighters, not just the ones physically, but the ones mentally, they at least have a willingness to assess their own weaknesses, right? There is something to be said about fighters pushing through their limits and kind of ignoring doubt. That is true. And when the time comes for it, they're able to do it. But the very, very best ones are also able to look in the mirror and say, hey, wait a second. What could I improve upon? What are some questions that need answering? For us on the outside, and I think this is true, we don't know the answer to these questions, but we at least have questions about his durability. If I were Sean O'Malley, I would say I am not at all ready to concede that I am brittle, but it might be something I want to more closely examine. What are some reasons why I suffered this injury? Freak accident? Maybe. Could be. Do I take body shots well? Blah, 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 blah. Like, it looks to me like for sure we can say when Sean O'Malley is being offensive, he is incredibly talented. What does he look like when someone is putting it on him? Which is a separate question altogether. But I have to tell you, I don't mind him saying it's, you know, the best guy doesn't always win because that is matter-of-factly true. That is mathematically true. That is not up for debate. It is not true that the better team always wins. It is not true that the better fighter always wins. That is, that is, that is just a fact. They more commonly win, of course, but they don't always win. And for him to have a bad attitude about it, you know, this is kind of a sport where bad attitudes have a home. I think the part where he needs to be careful about is not asking any questions about why he lost other than attributing it to some kind of luck. Luck always plays a role in wins and losses, right? Very rarely is there zero serendipity one way or the other. So I don't even mind that he examined it too. But to not have any examination about maybe some questions that he would have to face, that's the part where I have the mixed feelings on. I'm not going to beat him up because he's arrogant. 
And I'm not going to beat him up because he thinks he's better than Chito Vera. And I'm not going to beat him up when he says the best guy doesn't always win. What he, though, I think is missing is a question about some of his own limits independent of those considerations. Maybe Chito's not better than you, although maybe he might be, right? That certainly seems possible. But let's say for the sake of argument, Chito's not better. Chito doesn't have to be better to still be able to pinpoint potential weaknesses. See, it's not, it's not one or the other. I can be better than somebody at racing, right? And maybe I beat them in the 100 meter. Maybe I beat them in the 200 meter. But maybe my 100 to 200, right, that extra 100 meters, that's where I really began to show problems, and that's where they made all their gains. So I'm still faster than them in either race, but they show that's where I have my weaknesses. You can still be objectively better, and they can still show you there are some problems to address. That's the part I think he's missing. Cobb, where do you come down on Sean O'Malley in this whole conflict? I think if it wasn't for that journeyman line about Cheeto, people still would probably say he's being a sore loser, but if you really think about the stuff he's saying... I think it's completely normal. And I'm a person who hates the Derek Jeter answer of like, oh, you know, I'm just going to pick myself up and dust myself off and go off. No, he's telling you what he honestly believes. He believes he was better than Cheeto and he lost. That's the, I, I've said that in wrestling matches that I lost. Like, dude, I'm better than that guy. I know I'm better than that I flat out said it to a guy's face once during a weigh-in, who, a guy who beat me my junior year that I got to wrestle again my senior year. I don't think any of that's wrong. He's just giving you his honest beliefs. It's the... Part about, you know, I'll be a champion and he'll be a journeyman that I think rubs people the wrong way. It makes him seem like he's being petty about the loss. But he right. also he also feels like this guy celebrated and made a big deal. And I get why Vera did. He's been banging it out for a while now. He finally got a big fight. A guy with a lot of hype. He beat him. So he reacted accordingly. Um, but apparently, I guess that must have just stuck in. <laughs> that, that must have been just a pain in the ass for O'Malley to deal with. And... You know, he's reacting accordingly. Again, remember, too, it's a week out from the loss. Maybe he should have waited a little bit longer to do a podcast. But he's still a little emotional about it. I get it. It's just that one line that made him seem petty, I think. Also, if you put a camera on me at age 25, can you imagine the horrendous things I would have said about somebody? My Lord. You say horrendous things about us at 40. (laughs) Yeah, 41, and I'm still salty. At 25, I was nothing but a block of salt. The one thing I would say is, again, I'll go one more time. You're right, Cobb. Calling Cheeto the journeyman seems unnecessarily dismissive. And then the other part is, again, uh, let's imagine something, right? Two fighters fight, um, and it's a bit like the Zabit and Calvin Cater fight. Three rounds. Zabit won. Maybe he's the better fighter. I'll go, of course, over five rounds. It gets a little bit different. But for a three-round fight, he was the better fighter. Okay. You're going to tell me that Calvin Cater didn't show he had weaknesses? Of course he did. Of course he did. So you don't have to be altogether better in every way, and there's no way that someone not as good as you can't show you a weakness. They absolutely can, and I think he may have. We don't know that for sure, but he might have, and that's the part, that, that, that repudiation of that possibility, I think is what's rubbing some folks the wrong way. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.